All right, people, this is the Big Bananas Bonkers Ruben Report end of the year clip show recapping some of my favorite moments of 2018. Before we hit the clips, though, I want to take a quick moment to thank all of you guys who listen, watch, share, and support the show. You guys are the engine that have kept us totally independent for over two years now, and trust me, we're just getting started. 2018 was by far our biggest year yet as the intellectual dark web went mainstream. I toured over 80 cities all over the world with Jordan Peterson. I also returned to stand-up comedy. Check the link down below for upcoming dates. And we continued to have the conversations that I believe can restore some sanity to the universe. I've actually never felt better about the direction we're headed and with your help, we'll continue to grow. So here's my one sentence sell job. Help us remain totally independent and fan-funded by going to daverubin.com slash donate. All right, that's it. Now, more importantly, thank you and enjoy some of my favorite moments with some of my favorite people from 2018. You were on with Kathy Newman on It's Canada Channel 4? No, it was UK Channel 4. Uh, UK, UK Channel 4, Channel sorry. 4, yeah. And there, there's, I mean, everyone that's watching this has probably seen this already. Uh, if you haven't, you should go watch it. Yeah, and if you haven't, you should go watch it. But, but in effect... Basically, she tried to make an argument that you have heard a gajillion times before, but why does your right to free speech supersede a trans person's right to feel okay with themselves or something? Even the way she phrased the question was a little confused mm -hmm. and, and conflated. But, well, I, but the, thing, but the, the reaction thing, to it, 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 yep. it your, your answer was great, but it was the reaction, the regular people watching at home. They were going, this is nonsense. Mm -hmm. This is just abject nonsense. Well, the, well, the, thing, the thing that made it viral is the fact that she recognized in the moment that what she was saying was nonsense. <laughs> right, you could see. It was the moment yeah. where, where you could see the light go on briefly, and she just went, wait, what did I just say? Yeah. And there was no escape. It was, yeah. it was, pretty, it was pretty grand. Yeah. yeah, well, the funny thing about her argument is that it's pre it was predicated on the idea that somehow people have a right to be comfortable. It's like, that's just not a right you have in life. <laughs> of all the things you can say that you don't have a right to in life, being comfortable is number one. Yeah. It's Which you made is, that point to yeah. You can offend me right now, well, right? So the thing is, is if you... If your right to be comfortable trumps my right to talk, then I don't get to talk, ever. Because I'm going to say things, if I'm actually talking, I'm going to say things if they're, if they're profound things, if they're contentious things or truthful things, I'm going to say things that, if they don't disturb you, are going to disturb <laughs> you. And if they don't disturb you, there's someone that's going to be disturbed about them. So what's the answer to that? Everyone can be comfortable in the silence. But that doesn't, also doesn't work because then we can't exchange ideas. We're not comfortable in the silence. We're isolated and dead in the silence. So it's a completely incoherent perspective. I will say, the last time I was on your program, the mm -hmm. only time I was on before, I remember you asking me what I thought of the left, and I quipped, uh, what left? I haven't seen them in who knows how long. Yeah. That turns out not to have been right. They, they exist. I mean, yes, I hadn't seen them. But one of the funny things about my trajectory is that having been, you know, the experience was very much like being ejected from the left. Yeah. And I got ejected from the left, and a lot of people on the right embraced me, which was weird. And then, even weirder, was the discovery of all the other people who'd been ejected from the left. And so the point is, this is sort of a cryptic left. You're talking to the right, right guy. Exactly. <laughs> well, and so, so the point is the discovery that there are a lot of people who you might, if you just looked them up online, you would come to the wrong conclusion about where their sympathies lay, that that's interesting. And I think the conversation between those of us who have been, you know, catapulted out and those of us who have landed on the right is going to involve the recognition that in fact we are all suffering from a kind of political PTSD uh -huh. and that in fact many people who are on the right are there because they've been traumatized by really low quality dangerous leftist thinking um, 
but that the that does not make their right of center position natural. I'm mm-hmm. not saying there are no natural positions over there, but many people who are there are there because they have run from things that they have heard on the left. And once we give up on the idea that anybody on the map today has the answer with respect to the policies that we are supposed to embrace, once we say actually everybody's policies are a failure, if we were to enact uh, the libertarian program, it would fail for game theoretic reasons. If we were to enact the socialist program, it would fail for game Capitalism theoretic reasons. Same thing. Right. So the point is, okay, fresh sheet of paper with respect to policy. Now there's a lot for us to talk about, starting from values. And there are a lot of people who, if you ask them to list their values apart from policy, would fall out on the left. So, um, wow, is it an interesting moment that that conversation may be about to get started, yeah. and to be in a position to actually influence it, I must say, is uh, pretty exciting. There's something to be said for sleeping like a baby, especially when you don't. You might have trouble falling asleep or wake up sore and achy or hot and sweaty. Well, what would you do to sleep like a baby? Get the Purple Mattress. It's totally comfortable and it stays nice and cool at night. It's different than anything you've ever felt before and you'll get the best night's sleep you've ever had. If you're struggling to get a good night's sleep, you've got to try a Purple Mattress. The Purple material feels very unique because it's both firm and soft at the same time, so it keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus, it's breathable, so it sleeps cool. You're going to love purple, and right now my listeners will get a free purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to the great free gifts that they're offering site-wide. Just text Ruben to 474747. The only way to get this free pillow is to text Ruben to 474747. That's R-U-B-I-N to 474747. Message and data rates may apply. And now back to the show. One of the things that I found out that was sort of amazing about your history, you, you briefly mentioned it right before we started, you were a Marxist at one time in your life. Most people will find this hard to believe, but it is true. But it's not that unusual. Uh, most of the, the leading conservative thinkers of our ta- time uh, did not start off as conservative. You had a couple like uh, Bill Buckley and uh, George Will. But I mean, Milton Friedman was, was, a, was a liberal and a Keynesian. Uh, Hayek was a socialist. Ronald Reagan was so far left, at one point the FBI was following him. You know? Uh, so, uh, so there's a huge movement uh, from the left to the right as people get older. Yeah, I'm, I'm well aware, as I mentioned to you earlier, as a former progressive, I, I understand that, that movement in the yeah. modern sense. Do you, do you remember sort of what you were thinking, what appealed to you at that time about Marxism? Yes, I mean, there was no alternative being discussed. Uh, my first job was as a Western Union messenger. And uh, I would come home on some nights, I would take the Fifth Avenue bus, which cost all of 15 cents in those days. <laughs> but I figured I'd splurge now and then. And I would drive, it would go all the way up Fifth Avenue, past all these Lord and Taylor and uh, all these fancy uh, places. And then I would cross 57th Street, past Carnegie Hall, and down Riverside Drive, and that was the, the, sort of the Gold Coast area. And then as I came across this long viaduct that turned into 135th Street, suddenly there were the tenements. And I wondered, why is this? I mean, it's so, it's so, it's so different. And, and nothing in the schools or most of the books uh, seemed to deal with that. And Marx dealt with that. Uh, so it's, it's, it's like winning an election when there's only one person running. So then what was your wake up to what was wrong with that line of thinking? 
uh, facts. I'm not one of those who thinks things are worse now than they've ever been. I mean, this is a country where we've, we fought uh, over big issues for a long time. Uh, the Revolutionary War, of course, uh, and then, of course, we had the War of 1812, we had the Civil War, uh, World War I, World War II, uh, Vietnam, uh, uh, Korean War, 9-11. Uh, people hated Ronald Reagan. They thought he was a warmonger. Uh, George Bush, uh, uh, what was it, Bush lied, people died. Uh, there's tension in this country. There always has been uh, for a very long period of time. We get along better now than ever before. We've, as I meant, I, yeah. I, I don't think... You can understate the fact that we elected and re-elected a black president. Uh, in the 50s, the polls show that the percentage of white Americans who would be willing to vote for a black person, no matter how well qualified, was in the single digits. Uh, and now, I think only 3 or 4% of Republicans and Democrats say that under no circumstances would they vote for a black person for president. In fact, there's greater prejudice against a Mormon uh, and against voting for a woman than it is voting for a black person now. So uh, America is a very different place than it used to be. Yeah. And, and for the, the left to act like it's not insults the men and women who worked hard to get us to where we are right now. It's actually true to say that Obama was basically uh, you know, as honest as a politician can be and still be a politician. I mean, I think, I'm sure he lied about things, right? <laughs> yeah. But there's, there's no story on Obama being just this depraved person behind closed doors. Who get who's a, who's a con artist who gets away with everything that, that he can get away with, uh, who's trailing a long list of ca you know business and interpersonal casualties, who will tell you if you put them on camera or you get get them privately that he's the worst person they've ever met. Right, that's who's president now. Right, it's just it's a completely different mm -hmm. personality, um, and uh, I think that I think so. Whatever happens, let's say good. Th let, let's say we're living in a universe where having a, a uniquely narcissistic, selfish, shallow personality mm -hmm. in this position of power works out well. Let's just say that, I mean, so let's just to take your wrecking ball theory, he's kind of swung through here, yeah. he's disrupted everything. You know, I do view him, as I've said before, as a kind of evil Chauncey Gardner character. I don't mm -hmm. view him as this sort of master. I think Scott Adams is completely out to lunch on this. I don't think he's this... <laughs> Genius manipulator. I mean, he's got he's got some talents, obviously, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think but you think it's much less calculated, much than, less calculated. Than certainly, than yeah. Scott I don't is, think yeah. him contradicting himself two sentences later, right? When he says, you know, this is an amazing letter. You'd all like to read this letter, and then yeah, he says two sentences later, I haven't read the letter. Yeah, that's not calculated. He's just not doesn't have the cog. He can't take the cognitive overhead to even figure out what you know what was logically implied by the last thing he said, right? <laughs> So he's not, the, the truth is, he's not, he lies all the time, but worse than lying, and this is the, the great distinction that the philosopher Harry Frankfurt made in his book on bullshit, worse than lying is that he's bullshitting all the time. And the difference between lying and bullshitting is that if I'm going to lie to you, I'm paying attention to what I know, what, I know what is true, I know you know what is true, and I'm trying to insert a lie into the space provided in a way that you won't notice, right? Like I'm, I'm having to keep track of reality mm -hmm. in order to lie to you successfully. I understand your logical ep expectations. I understand that if I tell you that, you know, I was an hour late here because the traffic was so bad, I can't say in the next sentence, oh, I <laughs> left an hour late from my house, right? right. So, like, so, um, uh, so the bullshitter isn't doing any of that. The bullshitter is just talking, right? And therefore has renounced 
the reality testing he has to do to lie successfully, and he's just he he, he has the burden is not on him to make any sense at all in the end, and um, that for, to an amazing degree, not entirely. I think he does actually lie strategically sometimes, but to an amazing degree. And this is what I think is so harmful about his presidency. Whatever happens with North Korea or anything else that we might, you know, care about, mm-hmm. to an amazing degree, he has revealed that half of our society will accept somebody who is just bullshitting all the time about things great and small. I mean, it doesn't matter how important or how inconsequential. Porn stars, you know what, you know what just happened with the G7. You know what was said behind closed doors. What he's going to say to, to uh, uh, some maniac with with nukes. Um, there's just a, a we've completely forsaken any expectation of a reality-based conversation, and many people seem to revel in it. Many mm-hmm. people seem to think this is just. This is just good fun. This is like this is you know, and it's a bit of the wrecking ball theory yeah. gone to some nihilistic extreme, where it's just let's just you know let's just burn it all down. Having gone through the looking glass, having gone through the direct, you know, to borrow a phrase from the far left, but the lived experience <laughs> of actually being at the center of a mob. At the center of riots, and then watching as the world, the mainstream media, and others tried to do a public relations spin on it and tell a totally different story. To live that and to watch the institution that you loved become totally disloyal to you, and to watch many people whom you respected um, hide, you can't unsee that. It's valuable, and the fact that we're sitting here talking together, and that many of us in you know the intellectual dark web and in this in this bigger group, are are speaking and saying actually, the culture of fear that is society wide is real, and so I'll say, the the first time I met my students after the November 2016 election, after Trump was elected, Evergreen is a very left place. Olympia is a very left place. Pretty much everyone on campus had that glazed eye, slack-jawed look that people in most progressive enclaves will be familiar with from that time, from those few <laughs> days, right? Myself yeah. included. Even though you know, I was no Hillary fan, but I didn't see that outcome coming, and I certainly didn't vote for Trump. I, um, <clears throat> we got to class, and my co-faculty, whom I admire greatly, uh, just proceeded with her lecture on horse evolution. And I'm looking around the classroom going, no one here cares about horse evolution. <laughs> Today is not the day. <laughs> Today is not the day. Yeah. Um, so she ended a bit early, and we had lab a couple hours later. And before she let them go, I said, hold on, if anyone wants to stay, this is no longer class, but if anyone wants to stay, I would be happy to lead a conversation about what just happened, you know, what just happened to our country. And about 40 of our 50 students stayed wow. and skipped their lunch hour. You know, we went right to anatomy lab that afternoon from, from this conversation. And what I said to them was, do not for a minute believe that racists and sexists elected Trump. Think about how many times you have had to censor yourself on this campus when you had an opinion that was even slightly different from the accepted dogma. And that conversation not only brought life to the room, but afterwards I had several students come up to me, some of them in tears, telling me stories about one of them had lost a job on campus, for speaking an opinion that was not accepted. One of them had an, another story of another friend who lost a job. Others talked about their self-censorship. And, um, that, and all of these people, again, 
were far left. Not mm -hmm. that it should matter, but these weren't even people who were conservatives or who held conservative views. So that that is the larger culture of fear that is hardly restricted to Evergreen, but is society-wide that we are that we are speaking about and that people are responding to because in you know at Google, at Starbucks, yeah. in, in cubicles, in campuses, but far beyond campuses across the country and across the weird countries at least, this is a problem. Shapiro, will you bake Ruben a wedding cake? <laughs> okay, so I mean, my answer is well, I'm married already. Right, he's, but, mar but, he's married would, already. But, but an anniversary—it was my anniversary last week. An anniversary cake would have been nice. Right. So, I, so the answer is no, and the okay. reason I won't is because as a religious Jew, I, yeah. I do not participate in activities that I believe are sinful. But again, we live in a free country, and Dave knows this. He doesn't have to care what I think yeah. about sin. And as long as I'm not bothering Dave, I don't see why it's a problem. Yeah. So it's a, will I will I. Does Dave have a husband? Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, okay. And yeah. are we friends? Yeah. And are we going to go out to dinner sometime in the near future? Yeah. I mean, yeah. But, but there's a difference between me just being friends with Dave and me actively participating in an event that I feel is religiously sinful. And I think this is how most religious Christians and most religious Jews feel. And while that's awkward, yeah. we're still friends in spite of it, which is why we're friends. If well, we couldn't be friends I, in spite of it, then right. it would be a bad thing. Well, look, when I, when I did your interview show, which, by the way, I mean, yeah, you jacked the idea of an interview show from me. It's all right. It's but, true. But uh, nobody had done it before <laughs> me. Um, but what, what you said that to me, and, and I truly mean this. Like, if you think what I'm doing is sinful, like, I... I don't, it sounds glib, but I don't care. I, right, I and then this is my view is you don't have to care, right? right? It's a free country. Like. Right, like that's the thing. And it's like, look, look, there is, of course someone's going to go, well, wait a minute. If you really think his marriage is sinful or something, of course there may be a place that in the nature of our friendship, maybe that we can't quite get to, that I would be able to get to with someone that didn't think For that. sure. That is very possible, and, and, it, and it goes both ways, right? Like, I then look at you and I go, well, well, why? Right, like, you adopt a kid. You don't want me teaching your kid about the nature of family, perhaps, right? I mean, like, they, like possibly, but areas. I. But you're probably a pretty good dad, like, you know what I mean? Like, we. But why is it that we're able to do this, and most people can't do this? Because that's what I'm curious. We go about. home at night, and we can have our own lives. I mean, that's that's really, and and I think part of friendship, by the way, is that like we go home at night and we just have our own lives. Yeah, like, I'm not married to you, right? Yeah. I mean, like that's <laughs> like my wife and I have to agree on these issues. You and I don't have to agree on these issues in order yeah. for us to share a common space together, and yeah. that's really the important. Do you think thing your wife and you have to agree on these on all of these issues, or, uh, you, or I think, I think just the, the the sort of um, the more foundational have, ones? The foundational ones, but yeah. I do think that you know how you raise your kids religiously and and with regard to things like sexual morality does actually have to be at the root of, of how you teach your kids. Yeah. So if, if you have deep if you have deep divisions with your spouse on these issues, I think that, and, and you're looking to build a family anyway, yeah. then I think that these are issues where building on a bad foundation is, is a bad move. So let me, okay, so if you wouldn't bake me a cake, that's okay, mm -hmm. and yeah. now because it's 50-50, I can't bake you a cake, which David's an I'm, incredible I'm not sure. chef, I mean, and he would have done it kosher not, the whole wow, thing, man. Well, yeah, now he, I feel bad. He would have done it for you. You got but me this close. But, putting that aside, you can't have yeah. David's kosher cake now. Um, if we were having an anniversary party, would you come? If I was inviting all the crew that we all know, and we were just an anniversary party, we're just having a party, and, uh, and I'll even throw in some kosher food for you to make sure you don't have to bring your own food. You know, honestly, I'd have to think about it. I'd have to think about it in the same See, way. So that's interesting to me, because yeah, that's, that's a different thing. Well, it, not really, because again, it's if you're a religious person, yeah. and again, take it from the religious perspective, the, from the religious perspective, the question is, are you glorifying something that you think is sinful? Yeah. So if it's a party for something that you think was originally sinful, can you participate in that? So from a religious point of view, that's an actual serious moral question. Yeah. 
would I go out to dinner with you? The answer is yes, right? Because that's not actually like, let's celebrate something that I feel that you're doing is sinful. But I'd have to, I'd have to think about that one. And I'm being a perfectly honest, like no, I, be as I, straightforward as possible. On I want you to, so it's, see, that's so interesting to me, because it's like, if I threw a regular party, just we were just right. having that party at my house, and all the guys, that's right, Eric and Sam, also, right? like I'd bake you a cake that had nothing to do with a gay wedding. Right. And I would go to a party with you that has nothing to do with gay marriage. Could, would you bake me a regular cake? Could I just have a Thursday cake? Yeah, sure, cake? I'd give you a cake. You, you, well, you well, what the hell not? I mean, yeah. my, my baking sucks, I'll just buy you one. I want I'll a shittily baked Shapiro cake, and then I'm gonna write, then once I get it here, I can do whatever I want with it. piece of crap, I mean, it's not gonna be good, but it's, It'll be there. I do think Silicon Valley at this point has a bit of a conformity problem. It has, you know, a bit of a way in which people are, you know, too too much all uh, thinking the same way. It's just like the, there was, you know, the the Apple. I saw this this meme on the internet the other day where it was sort of the uh, Silicon Valley 1997 colon think different and the Silicon Valley 2018 colon think the same. It's, it's like you know when you ask a question, you know, what, why is it why is it so uh, so left wing? I think these things are you know they're, they're somewhat overdetermined. So I, I would say uh, part of it is um, is that uh, it's probably the most educated part of the country in terms of how much time people spent in college. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the downsides of too much education is that you get uh, the most brainwashed, and so it's 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 the most educated can also mean that it is it is the it is the most brainwashed. This is perhaps not so true of the founders, but certainly of um, of many of the the rank and file people who are um, you know if you're sort of like a really good engineer or um, you know a really good at some specific thing, um, your education typically does not involve you thinking that much about about politics, and so uh, it's not necessarily from deep ideological conviction. It's often more as a fashion statement than as a question of, of power. And so, uh, and so one of the things that's always a little bit hard to score is that even though if you took a survey in Silicon Valley, it's, it's, it comes out as you know, quite far to the left, you know, weirdly um, uniform, weird sort of groupthink. It's uh, super hard to know whether people really believe this or whether they're, whether they're just going along. Right. So I, I think it's pretty liberal. But um, but of course not as liberal as it looks, and that's that's in a way worse because it means people are you know, too scared to to articulate things. I think diversity is a good thing. I think especially you know diversity of ideas mm-hmm. is, is 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 to be valued. But you don't have real diversity when you just have a group of people uh, who look different and uh, and think alike. And so it's, it's it has to be it has to be more. Than just uh, you know, than just um, having the extras from the space cantina scene Star Wars or something like that, <laughs> right? And uh, and that's and so that's always that's always so it's always like an internal critique. The diversity myth is that it's it's not about diversity at all. It's about it's about uh, conformity. But the point is, we're going to have to live with each other as a nation, and. We're going to have to love each other, and there are a lot of people with this mimetic complex in their mind. This is why I, why I went and, and I talked to Kanye. Uh, I thought what Kanye was going to do was de-Trumpify MAGA with people who wanted their towns in Ohio and western Pennsylvania to start working again. People who uh, you know, were drinking themselves silly, feeling that they were part of the American dream and got sidelined. We are going to have to find common cause, and it's just not that hard. You know, it's just not that hard to have a friend whose hue is different than yours. It's not that hard to have a friend. You and I have serious political differences at this point. It just doesn't cause me to want to silence you. And so my claim is, is that even though they're lying, and even though they know they're lying, you've got to experiment with love 
and forgiveness to the best of your ability. And I can't tell you that I never lash out. I think I lashed out a little bit at Rebecca Lewis because she was lying. She said, it will never not be funny that the entire intellectual dark web uh, is only located on YouTube. Oh, really? So the 12 Rules of Life isn't a book that exists, and the Waking Up podcast isn't something that has no video, even if it's, it exists on YouTube, people listen to it off of YouTube. Is it, It's not true that we don't have any events. Of course Rebecca Lewis is lying. She knows she's lying. Data mm-hmm. and society is lying. These people all know that they're lying. But they think that they're lying for some beautiful reason to keep our country together, to make sure that we're not in the hands of a tyrant, to make sure that every child has a shot at a beautiful tomorrow. And I'm sorry that they're this confused, but have some compassion because they don't have the compassion. When we hear about empathy, okay, the onus is on us. They don't have this great empathy. They're like, I I so care about trans people that I can't care about white people. Okay, that gives me a headache. You're either empathic and you care about people in general, or it's selective empathy and you really have a lot of hate in your soul. So I set a goddamn example. That, that, that's my basic take, which is you've got to love the people who are lying, thinking that they're advancing the world's cause, and you have to love them out of their cult. And if we're not willing to take that on, then I don't know what, what we're doing. But I can't always make this, this high bar that I'm setting for myself. Yeah. I will fail. I will yeah. lash out at somebody. But have a forgiveness narrative. There is, in general, no redempti- redemption narrative on the left. That's why it's not even a religion. People say it's a cult, it's a religion. Without a redemption narrative, there's nothing. If what you're really excited about is sticking it to the man, whoever the man is, you're not fundamentally a good person. You're you're a person who's working through your own personal anger. And so my claim is, is that love the people who are lying against you and figure out what an incredible power incredibly powerful weapon that is because at the end of the day after you knock them senseless to the pavement you better offer them a hand up and say look it wasn't personal it's just you were you were threatening our system and you know I, I felt like I couldn't communicate to you while you were still in the cult that's where I am well there is a fear that if you acknowledge that there are differences between individuals or groups that you're saying that one group is inferior so there's been a, the idea that we have to be the same to be equal has been a very prevalent and strong idea. I don't know who came, where the idea comes from, <laughs> right. but it's, it's, um, it's dangerous because if you, um, if you argue that no true equality can be achieved unless we're all the same, then, no tr- then we can't have equality. Yeah. However, if you argue that, no, we are all morally equal and that we deserve equal opportunity and uh, the equal, um, uh, we, we deserve equal opportunities to live a happy, flourishing life, however, there are differences between us, yeah. then you can preserve that um, ethical principle so it's very problematic for people who think that there can be no equality between men and women unless we're proven to be the same, identical, mm-hmm. um, because the evidence doesn't support the, the idea that we're the same. But look, I've had so many years doing this, Dave, and I can't explain how I still love it. I love the interplay.
Yeah. You should love what you do. Yeah, My I do. God. Know why? You learn something every day. Every day you learn something. So I can't be closed-minded. Like, I'm a liberal politically, yeah. certainly in social issues. But I'm not closed-minded enough to think that you can't have an opposing view. I like the argument. I like the discussion. But in interviewing, I never, I leave my ego at the door. I try not to use the word I. It's irrelevant. And I tried to get into walk in the other, you know, Edward Bennett Williams, the great lawyer, told me once, I said, what is the role of the criminal defense lawyer? He said to get one person on the jury to walk in your client's shoes. Hmm. If you can get one person to walk in your client's shoes, you've got a hung jury. All he has to do is say, I would have done that. I, I've been in spaces at Columbia, for example, or conversations where my being black, it was obvious to me that there was an assumption of, of moral worthiness or of uh, kind of heightened moral knowledge mm -hmm. that I would have as a black person that a white person wouldn't have. And you know, I think, I think I, I'm not the first to make this analogy, of course, but the re re religious analogy and the, the analogy to original sin mm -hmm. is pretty apt um, because it, I mean, the, the way, the, this has a lot to do with black history also, because the way, I, the way I see it, there are kind of two ways to study history. There's the conventional way, which is, you know, you study World War I, you study the causes and consequences, read different takes on, on, on the significance, and once you've studied all you need to know, you move on to the next topic. But then there's a religious way of studying history, which is, I mean, it's not enough to know the facts, we have to go somewhere on Sunday, every, you know, every mm -hmm. single week, and learn talk about the same stories over and over again. So th this is you know it's it's the difference between how an atheist learns about the life of Jesus hmm. and how a Christian learns about the life of Je Jesus and relearns it every week for the rest of their life. In my view, how we're looking at the history of race relations in this country, the history of racism, we are more and more putting it in the religious category of history where. You know, I can read a piece about the history of lynching in the New York Times almost you know, once every two or three months, mm -hmm. right? I mean, lynching is a decades-old crime at this point, and I mean, Jesus Christ, obviously it was a heinous stain on, on this country's legacy, you know, but the, the number of deaths that, that is, is the highest amount quoted in the New York Times with regard to how many black people were lynched in this country is around 4,000, right? Every single year, twice that many black people die of homicide. And I, you just don't even hear about that in the New York Times. There are 20,000 engineers, engineers making between two and $400,000 working right now just on Google search, just on that one feature of Google, 20,000. This is the most technologically advanced and powerful organization in the history of the world. Its technology and capabilities so far outstrip those of the Pentagon, for example, or the Chinese military, or the Russian, the Russians, or any other group. This is the most powerful technological entity in the world which has a chokehold on all human information in English. So that is all, sort of all you need to know. I don't care if Jesus is in charge of the country. That's too much power for any entity to have. And it's a, it's a threat to the nation state, actually, and it's a threat to all of us. So 
yeah, I think whatever it takes is what we need to do, like now. You know, I'm an this enlightenment right. guy, but the thing is, is that when, when I look backwards in time, you know, what, what, what people like Harris and Pinker attribute to the Enlightenment, <laughs> I see as the Enlightenment being the latest flowering of a process that was indescribably older than that. This and, is and, exactly and, right. And in, the, and, in the, and in the historical sense, certainly grounded in the religious traditions, but in, and then from my perspective, grounded in something that's biological, that's far deeper than that, like, like our true proclivity towards admiration for competence and reciprocity.